listening to a production of the Toll Network, home of Biting Analysis. This is Moonspeak Phase 3, uh, Episode 37. Um, I don't know, we got three potential titles, Sona, which should we go with? Should we go How Grandma Luna Got Her Groove? Hello? Uh, what's this? Or I Just Know It's Important, and these are all, of course, dub lines. I'm I'm laughing at how Grandma Luna got her groove. <laughs> that that may be the one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you're listening to that episode, and uh, like I I think I already said, we're talking about Sailor Moon S. No. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Sailor Moon S. The movie. Um, wow, that was difficult. Um, but yes, we are we're back, everybody. This is Amit, and Sona's with me here too. Of course, I am. That's how and, we do this. Yeah, yes. Um, and we're actually both pretty excited, if uh, if I'm reading you correctly. I think you said it out, outright earlier. Yes, because I love this movie. Okay. It's weird. It's so incredibly <laughs> weird, but I love it. Um, do you want to start off with uh, any general thoughts on it, or should we just jump right into the loose format that I made? Um, I mean, it's it's a weird movie. It's about a cat that loves a dude and believes there's the potential for a relationship there. Um, and also, <laughs> random comets, random comet ladies attacking. Um, the, my most recent interaction with this movie was the, the manga version. Uh, of the three movies, uh, this is the only one that does have uh, an adaptation that uh, Naoko did. That has a lot less, like, weird logic jumps and is a lot more linear, I guess, because oh. <laughs> it had to fit a certain page length. Um, I'm not sure if they were done kind of at the same time or if she did this and then they adapted it into the movie and published the manga or kind of what the, uh, I don't know what the word is, the, uh, you know, production line there was. But, uh, like, there's some things that I remember from that that went a little differently than here, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how this went here. This is a (laughs) weird, weird movie. Yeah, I, uh, I had remembered that you said that this was Takuchi's own work. That was, you know, whether, however, it appears in manga form, and, and she did that. Um, so I was wondering, um... I guess I was just wondering, like, how is that going to affect the quality of this? And, uh, like you said, there's some gaps and jumps and stuff, and who knows where that's from, because we, uh, we didn't quite do our homework well on this, uh, today, as, uh, we are so often, uh, want to do on, uh, you know, the whole Toe Network. So, um, let's, let's move on away from that as quickly as we can so people think that we're competent and, uh, get right into fun stuff. Is that good with you? <laughs> yeah. Um, fake it till you make it, right? Yep. <laughs> That's how I get okay. by. <laughs> uh, okay, so the uh, the opening credits to this movie were so great. Uh, I really think a first-time viewer would have firm grasp of the relationships between the girls and even a decent hint at their personalities. It was really cute, and I got emotional, like, immediately, as I do pretty much any time I get to revisit the girls. Um, like, we got kind of a little something for everyone, all of them, you know, having fun, but still showing a little of their best best and worst traits. 
everyone's, you know, looking at fun books, magazines, and Ami's getting study books. Um, <laughs> you know, Minako trying on cute outfits and then getting real dramatic with the big fur coat and Artemis around her neck. Um, Makoto absolutely wrecking the punching bag. <laughs> and I just, I love getting to see the girls in their downtime. It always makes them feel a lot more real. Um, I, I love the look on Artemis's face, even. <laughs> <laughs> Artemis like, has a really rough doing? time during this entire movie. It's not yeah. a great, great couple of days for him. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, moving on. Um, at about 29 minutes in, when Luna is messing with the potpourri, uh, Usagi and Small Lady are asleep, of course, uh, and they're in the exact same pose, and then they both toss in and turn at the same time and mutter, Mamo-chan, in their sleep, and that almost killed me, especially because uh, it gets Luna to flip out because she's, you know, <laughs> skulking around, and, uh, you know, she drops potpourri all over herself. They, that bit never dies. Like, the further you go, it's... Chibiusa always kind of has that thing, uh, but, like, after Black Moon, it just kind of becomes cute and endearing, because it seems a lot more like it's her copying Usagi, you know, which is proof of, you know, how much she admires her mother and how much Usagi means to her. <laughs> and, I mean, just look at the transformation sequence where Chibiusa's kind of mimicking the end of Usagi's sentence and runs in to get in on the catchphrase action. Yeah. It's real cute. <laughs> It is. Uh, and, like, here again, I, I, I've i enjoyed Sailor Moon, and if this is your first time popping in and uh, just listening to this at random, saying, like, hey, they're talking about one of these movies, and I'll check it out, because Viz is putting one out in theaters. It's it's the R movie, which... Um, did that already happen, Sono? Do you know? I don't think so. I don't think that's already happened. I think it's soon-ish. Okay. Unfortunately, there's one in L.A., but I'm not going to get to go, because... I really only ever make it out to go see Star Wars movies because that's who I am. Um, you know, a lot of other stuff in real life that stops me. But uh, I haven't even gotten to see Rogue One, and it's been like two weeks since that's been out. So um, I'm definitely not going to make it to L.A. to one theater to go see it at a you know evening show or whatever. But I'd love to go see the R movie, which we discussed previously. Yeah, um, I mean, I also would, but it's up in New York, and that's a lot of money. Yeah. It, it's and, like $30 to get to and from New York. Just like by itself. Yikes! Plus the ticket, plus the time, plus you know any food, <laughs> rest of the day. Because if I'm going to New York, I'm spending the whole day there. I'm doing other stuff. Yeah, you may but, as well. <laughs> but like, it's it's expensive, and I don't have the time or the money. <laughs> um, but uh, like, I'm really happy that uh, I. I'm a new fan to Sailor Moon. It's been a couple of years, but still, I feel new, especially because, you know, you've got decades on me um, enjoying this stuff. Uh, but, like, I'm really happy that I never had the chance to go through that um, Chibi Usagi, like, is terrible phase. Because, um, you know, seeing her journey done quickly through Crystal and then seeing her in these movies, it's just, it's sweet because both of the movies take place when she's already part of the group and things between her and Usagi are much less contentious. And here they're just getting along basically perfectly or you know with great harmony and it's really nice to see all that stuff yeah and, and i'm not sure how much of it comes from like in between episodes in the 90s series where um you know crystal was very linear straightforward followed the manga where uh the 90s series had a lot more episodes in between 
And I'm not sure if some of it may have come from that or just, you know, the general kind of bits of Chibiusa's personality, but I really have come to love her in revisiting the show. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's not, there, there's more to love, so let's keep going. Um, a couple of minutes later, at around 32 minutes into the movie, uh, the girls are all wistfully talking about loves that they've experienced, and Chibi just sighs. Um, she's, like, in the same pose and everything as the other girls, but she just can't really contribute. And it's just, it's really sweet and heartwarming, and uh, I, I really liked it. Yeah, she does have this kind of weird relationship with romance, it seems. And at this point, uh, S is the Deathbusters arc. So we're kind of, I'm not sure when exactly during that it takes place, but I mean, she's got that whole relationship with Hotaru. Uh, she's got kind of the, the memories of kind of the weirdness involved in Black Moon. And I think she's just got this very much in love with being in love sort of feeling. And I think that's really cute. Cause I mean, her parents are the, the trademark miracle romance. <laughs> um. So it like romance is just such a huge part of her life and I think it's cute that she's she kind of just allows it allows herself to enjoy the concept of romance without feeling the need to really be like oh there's a specific person I'm going to think about hmm. like she just enjoys love right <laughs> Oh man such good stuff um okay and then speaking of good stuff uh, the music was really good all throughout the whole movie and um it seems like the uh, dub kept all the original Japanese music because um, I listened to both tracks and it seemed pretty consistent. I didn't listen to the whole thing all the way through. I watched it first the dub and then I went back through and, and skimmed around in the Japanese. Um, but anyway, the, the the music box, like romantic melody from the beginning, which gets reprised a couple times throughout, I think. Um, and then like the outer's battle theme with the violin, like the rocking violin is amazing. Um like it's easily better than some of the stuff that appears in Kiva, although Kiva has some fantastic common writer Kiva for the people who aren't necessarily aware. Um it, it's got a bunch of violin music behind its fights and stuff and just background music and it's pretty fantastic. But this I mean, this is a awesome, awesome violin theme that the outers have. Um Oh, and then, like, at the very end, because the, the fight with the... She calls herself Kaguya, the snow globes lady, the collector? I think she kind of, like, accepts... Like, he, he uses that name for her mm-hmm. and, like, says that to her. And she's like, oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> okay. But so she's basically, like, this this unknown figure. It's just she collects... Yeah, I don't think she's ever her. given any other kind of name. Which is pretty cool. Um... But, like, the final, final fight against her when the, uh, help me out here, Silver Millennium Crystal is activated. Yeah. Um, like, that's, there's some beautiful music there, too. Yeah, uh, the, sorry, the 90s then, series in general one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I meant to mention her snow dancers. Uh, they were in that fray, too, but they were just getting, like, shredded at that point, so they are kind of irrelevant, so. Yeah. Um, like, the 90s series had such great music in general. Like, they really knew how to bring up a moment. Uh, the only part that felt really weird was there's this sort of dark, dramatic music as Himeko is watching the sunrise over Earth, as if something bad is about to happen to her. 
Hmm. And then, you know, she sees Luna go by, and the music gets all, like, happy and nice again. It's just a really weird moment. Because it, it, the music they use makes it feel like one of the snow dancers is going to, like, come out of nowhere and knock her into space. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I actually happened upon that part. And you're right, it is a little off-key or, or, um, like, it just doesn't match with the rest of the scene. Yeah, it's a strange moment. Um, okay. Um, I kind of mentioned, uh, the snow dancers getting ripped to shreds, and, um... I watch a lot of, uh, I think it's called Screen Junkies. They're honest trailers, and they make fun of the fact that, like, a bunch of Marvel movies and DC movies and even the new Ghostbusters from last year had, like, this sky beam and there were hordes of, you know, creatures or whatever. So I, I kind of address that in this point. So, uh, you know, people can speak all they want about faceless armies of nondescript enemies, but as the collector lady kept summoning more and more snow dancers every time the sailor soldiers defeated them to the point where their numbers were so overwhelming that they started getting the upper hand, the snow dancers, that is, and, like, canceling the, the senshi's attacks, um, like, that was really good drama. Yeah, like, there's always something a little weird about Sailor Moon's, like, semi-naked lady enemies all over the place. <laughs> um, strange. It's a, it's a little weird, but even so, I actually, like, really enjoyed the enemy designs in this. Um, like, the snow dancers felt very sleek and kind of like music box figures. Hmm. And they really got a lot of emotion out through body language. They moved very, very well. Um, you know, watching them overwhelm even the outers who, you know, in S are, like, big, the big tough guys. Uh, who kind of can't be beaten, was pretty cool to watch. And, you know, even the couple times they're allowed to have these cute emotions, um, you know, Usagi and Chibiusa pointing off as a distraction so they can get time to transform. Oh, yeah. And one of them, she, like, looks off and is then like, wait, what? And uh, I feel like the one that Malmaru stopped was as baffled by his entrance as I was. And can we just take a second to talk about Tuxedo Santa? Because... I had completely forgotten that was from this movie, and I died. Yeah. Like, he has he has some absolutely bananas entrances in the 90s, and this is, like, up there in the top five, at least. <laughs> I'm not surprised. It was, uh, it was pretty crazy. I don't know how he pulled that off. Where did he get that blimp? Why did he want to do it? <laughs> how, why and how did he spend the time on this? <laughs> um, but that is, that needed to be talked about with how much, you know, we love Mamoru. Yeah. Yeah, I just, that was really weird. Um, okay, uh, so, <laughs> uh, I really enjoy the fact that Snow Queen was bopped by both, uh, Queen Serenity and Sailor Moon, and she knows it. I thought that was really rich. Man, Serenity had, like, no hesitations in putting to bed anything that came a little too close to the moon or Earth. Like, she loved her people and was benevolent and was this, you know, beautiful moon goddess. But it's clear, <laughs> like, who put this warrior princess army together in her spare time. Because, man, she wrecked a lot of people. Um, but probably one of my favorite moments is the first fight 
when the first fight against the snow dancer starts and we just cut to the outers having coffee <laughs> in this in this little restaurant and you just see people running past screaming and they all just kind of turn like is there something going on <laughs> and like ice crashes through the window and it's not supposed to be a funny moment but the timing of it and yeah. how it's just like 2 seconds we don't even have them having a conversation before this starts like it just something about the beats of it rings as kind of humorous. No, it was definitely pretty funny. Again, like they're not even talking; they're just <laughs> sitting there having coffee, and suddenly people are running by screaming. Well, and then you know one one thing to add. You know, you talked about the difference between the manga and and the movie. Um, later on, they are in the same exact restaurant having coffee again. And if you're going to talk about that later, don't, don't go into it now. But, um, that was really weird too. Yeah. I, I don't remember if that was a thing in the manga. I assumed it was because of like the weird kind of illusion that snow lady had going on. Because again, that window was totally fine. Yeah. Um, and that's, Kind of the only way I can logic that out is that they went back, that in the illusion, like, it was all fine and they just ended up back there. But, like, when I did think, the illusion even start? The, that's hard to say. Um, <laughs> Maybe, I think it started with the Santa, or Tuxedo yeah, Santa. I think, I think, like, right after that fight, she kind of starts it. I think they do go to that restaurant a lot in, like, the actual 90s series. Okay. Uh, so I, I feel like that's a common place for, like, at least Michiru and Haruka to hang out. Hmm. But, like, yeah, that window is totally fine later. <laughs> um, also, Kakeru has, like, five doctorates. And I'm pretty sure that Himiko mentioned one of them is in biology. And he's feeding sugar candy to a cat. <laughs> well, yes, you're, you're right. He was. Unfortunately, uh, he skipped over the veterinary sciences and just, uh, focused on human <laughs> biology, I guess. I, like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's, like, I don't have any degrees in biology. I failed biology in high school. I definitely know that I should not be feeding, like, pure sugar candy to my cats. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well... I guess that's the difference. The only difference between you and Cockroo, right? I guess. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um. All right. Well. Uh. That, that's that's a little bit silly. Um. Let's let's get into something a little more serious. Uh, I wanted to go ahead and talk about the theme, or possible themes, because I, I come up with like a second one <clears throat> in thinking about this all. Uh, the Himiko or Hime, because in Japanese she's just Hime, whatever. Um. Like, the Hime-Kakuru uh, relationship is really uncomfortable. Uh, I get that they are estranged lovers, but I'm not sure how I feel about them ending up together by the end. Um, they sort of parallel the Luna-Artemis relationship, and, like, the message seems to be about, I don't know, maybe getting out of your own way to find love. Like, that sounded really good in, you know, Will Smith's hitch from 2006 or seven or whatever it was, um, but... Like, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I have to lie to these women to get them out of their own damn ways or whatever. Like, that sounded cool. But, uh, like, the way it plays here and, like, especially with how Kakaru, like, was rough with Hime and, like, not only was mean and kind of a jerk, but, like, 
he kind of, you know, pushed her, or he didn't hit her, but he definitely, like, shoved her away from him, and uh, it felt really, really off to me to say, like, yay, now they're together, because, you know, Princess Kaguya kissed him and told him to go love that woman. It just, I didn't like it. Yeah, it's a little... (laughs) And I think somewhere in the way that Kakeru treats uh, Hime is a thing we've talked a lot on Uncommon recently with X-Aid, um because that plot happened three times in yes. less than ten episodes. Yes, it did. Where it, it almost happened three times in three weeks. I think it was four or five, though. Yeah. Um, but he's, like, trying to push her away to avoid dragging her down. Though, in this case, the issue comes in that it's... The issue comes less in, like, just talk to each other, and more in that it's never actually brought up at all. And the only real indication of this is that, like, after he tries to push her away for good, he takes out that photo of them and starts crying. Mm. And that's really the only only real indication of this. Like, maybe he knows, I mean, he has to know how the scientific community sees him and doesn't want that to reflect poorly on Himeko. Right. But the solution to that becomes she ends up also believing it. And I guess then that would reflect badly on her, unless they both just like, okay, well, now we both believe it and can move on with our relationship, but not, you know, talk to the rest of science about this. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure, and I'm not saying this isn't doubting it, I'm saying it as, I like, I am having a hard time gauging um, the how angry he is about her disagreeing with him like it's it's really hard to gauge because sometimes it feels like he really resents her for it and other times it feels like it's a front he's putting on and like she put in a lot of effort to come see him and to be like hey i'm gonna do this and then you and me we can kind of make things work and then he He's constantly lashing out at her. Like, even if she did see a goddess on the moon, she should demand an apology before going back to him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, it, I definitely agree that it's weird and off. Um, it's a little different with Luna and Artemis. Because um, Luna seems aware, to some extent, of Artemis's feelings, if her little, like, mental apology to him is any indication. But she doesn't really seem to try to push him away or sever even their professional relationship over anything. Um, the 90s anime didn't introduce Diana until Supers, so this incarnation of Luna doesn't know about Diana or have any real indication that she and Artemis have this future relationship. Okay. Yeah, that, um, that makes things a little different. Yeah, that's the the manga does introduce Diana at that point, but the '90s series did not introduce Diana um, during Black Moon. So you know, they, she doesn't know they have this future relationship, and they're not in any sort of actual relationship at this point. So you know, Luna's free to feel however she wants about whoever she wants. Um, weird as this particular choice was. And Artemis does seem to actually respect her choice. He still has his feelings for her, but he's like, you know, she can do what she wants. I don't own her. Um, 
there is an episode in Supers where Diana is introduced, and that's a little more eh, kind of on Luna's part, not so much Artemis's part. Um, hmm. But that's for another day. Um, I do want to give both Luna and Artemis props for not feeling resentment toward Himiko in Luna's case and Kakiru in Artemis's case for quote unquote stealing their potential significant other because mm. that nonsense is way too common in fiction and I don't got time for it. Yeah, um, there was even a great line. Um, you know, Artemis at the end comes back to Luna and is like, "Hey, I'm I'm always here for you," and. Uh, I think at that point she kind of reciprocates and they're all snuggly with their, you know, they're both blushing and their tails are, you know, all, yeah, they're, all a they're, twitch. Yeah, their tails with their weird, like, one, one-to-one frame rate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, that's going on. But, like, also, uh, Mamru had said something to Soggy earlier, I think kind of when she was doubting, like, hey, you know, are you really into it, in this, you know, uh, in this relationship with me? Um, and he said something... I'm kind of, it's a blur on me right now, but I, I really got the impression that he, what he responded with Usagi is like, of course, you know, I want you and I want to be with you and I respect you as a person and like, I respect your autonomy and like, if, you know, like things are your choice, baby, do whatever you want to do, that kind of thing. Um, I can't remember the context of it now, which really bugs me, but I was well, impressed she, that like, she had, at, she'd been talking about, she was worried about Luna, and he says something like, oh, well, you know, maybe Luna just wants her some space for herself right now. Oh, that's what it was, yeah. And it's like, she's with you all the time, and, you know, <clears throat> she kind of needs a break in space for herself, and Usagi takes that kind of as, oh, well, do you also feel that way? That's like, do right. you also need a break from me? And, he, like, he tries, it's like, does that mean that you don't want me around all the time? And, um, cause I mean, Mamaru does kind of need a break sometimes, but he gets it because he doesn't, you know, live with her. Right. Luna's, Luna's with her 24-7. <laughs> like, Mamaru can go home at night. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of the, uh, um, <laughs> Kakaru saying that, uh, Luna's owner must be an elegant person. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh man. This is, that is such a great moment. And she's just like, and Grandma Luna, her delivery too is like, oh, soggy. No way. You know, like, oh man. That was so good. Um, but yeah, that's right. And like, that's a really healthy message. And I, I know we're kind of, you know, going all over the place, but like, that's really cool and really healthy that Mamaru has that perspective and that he, you know, tries to make Usagi sure or feel secure, whatever, like, no, that's, I'm not saying I need to be away from you and that's what I want. So like, it's, there's a little bit of a dance, but like, it's done in a really, like, modern and thoughtful way. And I'm not gonna say you can tell this was written by a woman, but it was definitely written by somebody who, like, cares about relationships and equality and, like, people having equal footing in their romantic, uh, entanglements. And that's, like, that's really, really cool. And I thought, like, oh, this is great for, you know, young girls to have been watching at the time. And, you know, even now. Um, yes. So, anyway. Um, do you have more to add? Or, because I wanted to kind of go into the other theme uh, no, I go, found. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, so... I started thinking about it more, and, like, the cold collector lady, like, she sort of parallels Kakaru and Luna, who had sort of detached themselves from feeling love for the sake of their goals. So, like, maybe the theme is more about how good it is to be vulnerable and make connections. Because, like, Usagi is just, like, her nerves are on fire. 
Like, her heart is always uh, being pricked by things because she's open and sensitive. And, like, Artemis, uh, interestingly, uh, like, shows that vulnerability, too. And I think Hime also shows that vulnerability. And, in fact, she's willing to, uh, at the end, you know, lose her star, her rising star or whatever, to be with Kakuru. And, again, we can talk about, like, the... Like how healthy and how good that is when we kind of debated that a little bit already. So we don't need to belabor that point. But like, I like the idea that it's pushing, like, it's okay to be vulnerable and to be open to people. And because I think that's a really good, good message. Yeah. And I mean, Luna detaching herself emotionally for the mission um, is kind of a really common theme in her character. Because remember, she was a longtime advisor of Serenity and has known Usagi since her birth and by extension the other Guardians for like right. their entire lives. But all of them are reincarnated, except for her and Artemis, who were in suspended animation from the time the Silver Millennium fell to the start of, you know, the Dark Kingdom arc. So, you know, she wakes up as if it's the next day and suddenly she has these these people that are her loved ones but also aren't. And yeah. I think Luna spends a lot of time early in the story keeping a few steps back emotionally because that wound is probably still pretty fresh. So to see Luna open up and be a little vulnerable and kind of show that personal side of herself is a really nice story for her to get. And, you know, by now, we're three arcs in, um, where several stories have happened, uh, even more so in this series, because we've had, we had a couple of, you know, story filler arcs. Mm. And, you know, by now, Luna's let herself get a little attached to, you know, these, these new important people in her life. And you can really see that in the moment that she shares just with Usagi crying over the fact that, you know, this love wasn't meant to be, and, you know, it's not quite, he's, he's got someone that he loves, and also she's a cat. There is that, yeah. Um, and, you know, Usagi treats her as if she's a person. She, she cries with her, she, like, gets down on her knees and hugs her as if she were a person. Like, she doesn't pick her up, she doesn't pick Luna up and hold her. In response, she gets down on her knees and hugs Luna, and it's a really sweet moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just, you know, to, to reframe things, we're talking about, like, the depth of emotional development on a cat anyway in this story. So, like, it's really cool. Like, that's the great thing about writing and creative works, isn't it? Like, you can yeah. have a whole story that means so much, and it's about a cat that's in love with a guy who's in love with a lady, but he's distracted by this moon goddess. Like, that is so... That sounds bananas on its face, but it's just... It's so true and so cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so for our final round, we have a uh, grudge match. It's uh, me versus you, dubs versus subs. Only one person can win, right? I mean, because everything's a zero-sum game. Yes, because yeah. on- only one of us can be right about this. Our, our individual experiences do not matter. <laughs> this is not a matter of opinion, even slightly. Or even preference, right? I mean... Yeah. Just because you're more comfortable with something doesn't make it right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. There uh, is only one answer. Yes. Um, and it's dub. Um, 
So here we go. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. I watched this dubbed without subs the first time through, and then I skipped around a second time with the subtitles on, and I even put the Japanese audio just to get a feel for some things that felt off in the dub, and uh, I made some observations I want to discuss. I only watched this sub because I wasn't <laughs> sitting through 60 minutes of Grandma Luna. I did okay. my time in the early 2000s, and I'm not doing it again. <laughs> I feel I feel like I I need to uh, still earn my street cred, my Sailor Moon street cred. I'm pretty sure sitting through this entire movie, you've done it. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> now like, I can look, just... I wasn't willing to do it for like what probably sums to like three minutes of Luna in the R movie. I'm not doing it for a full hour with this. <laughs> oh man. Um. So, yes, uh, going off of that, uh, I know, I've noticed that a lot of dubs, uh, seem much less, oh, I, I, I meant to say I, I had a brain freeze. Oh, ah, brain freeze, cause collector lady. Anyway, um, that, uh, I can now proud me, proudly call myself a Mooney. Um, alright, moving on. Um, so, I've noticed in a lot of dubs, like, you know, Digimon and whatever, other ones, but especially like this one in particular, uh, like whenever there's a silent moment with the character and, you know, they're just walking along or sitting pensively or whatever, um, the dub writers seem very unwilling to just let the music play or let the, you know, ambient sound play or whatever. And like they const- or frequently try to stick jokes in there or just add filler lines and uh I just I think that's interesting. Did they manage to get in one or two lines with oh, the outers? Uh before the, the outers, ice crashed I'm through not, the window? I'm not you know what? I think they were chatting about something. Uh but it was kind of innocuous. It was it was not a big deal, whatever they were saying. I mean of course it would yeah. be because it's just filler lines, but I can't remember. I mean, I may, I may have to go back and check that out, uh, cause there was not a lot of time and I'd be impressed if they got like two full sentences into that. Um, but this was a big thing in the dub and kind of in most early dubs that were not trying to be, or ones that were trying to be local, localizations and not exactly faithful to the mm. original script. And that, that sounds, uh, very judgmental. Um, but that's not quite what I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, I, to if I can help out real quick, um, I feel like that's that was kind of like just the school of thought at the time. Like, well, we don't have to yeah. be one hundred percent faithful. We'll just give the gist, or not to the gist. It seems also seems rude, but like we'll give the basic idea of what was going on, and we'll do it in our own but, style. Yeah, you know, kind of, kind of, not quite to the extent extent that Power Rangers does Super Sentai, but kind of on a on a screenwriting adaptation level. Of that, yeah, I guess. I, I could definitely see that being the case. Um, cause I think they felt that, cause again, this was marketed toward a much younger demographic <laughs> than the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of early, a lot of early anime that was localized, that was a thing. A lot of, you know, early Gundams, Digimon, Pokemon. Um, Pokemon may have, Pokemon and Digimon may have been roughly the same kind of audience demographic but you know culturally culturally how they present things to children is very different um so you do still have those kind of longer pauses 
And I think that in adapting it, they felt that having those silent moments, kids would lose interest. Hmm. Um, I, which I don't think is entirely true, but they'd be like, well, even if this screws up the pacing, we have to put in these lines so we don't lose the audience. Hmm. Yeah, that might be the case. Um, well, um, I, I, I'm going to jump ahead one note and just like point out what really got me thinking about this. And it was, well, I was watching the dub, you know, Luna tells Usagi she's going to go home and she's walking home. And Grandma Luna's groaning and, and kvetching and talking about, you know, how she's, she's getting dizzy and she wants some soup and stuff. And I was just thinking, like, how's Luna gonna make herself soup? Like, I know she works a computer and she does all sorts of things, but like, one, how's she gonna make herself soup? Two, uh, how's she gonna eat the soup? And three, do cats really eat soup? Like, this has to be a dub thing. And then I, I kind of started looking more and I found that sure enough, it's silent and there's like a tension in the original version that isn't there with Grandma Luna dropping lines all over the place. And uh <laughs> Yeah, hearing that they made that moment comedic is really weird. Well because like in in the Japanese audio, again, it's silent and it's very much Luna kind of struggling to basically stay conscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, I don't know how Luna would make herself soup. I don't know if maybe <laughs> she'd convince Usagi's mom to do it somehow. I She can work a computer. I don't think she can work a stove. Um, <laughs> microwave. But, you know, as, uh, maybe. I don't know how <laughs> she'd get it in the microwave, out of the microwave, if she's, like, moving a step stool around the kitchen. Um, as far as eating it, like, Cats can pick up liquid pretty easily. Um, so, you know, one of my cats pretty much has soup for dinner every night because I have to, uh, I put chicken stock in her food to kind of water it down. Uh. So it's, uh, so she gets more liquid in her diet. Hmm. Uh, she's been having some health problems and no, that's, uh, that's just a thing that was told for us to do. So, you know, eating the soup. Not very hard. Making the soup? That's a, that's a good question. But just, oh. I, I actually now kind of want to go back and watch that moment dug because it sounds like it's a very different experience. It, it really is. And it, um, it almost made me, cause I, I, I personally love dubs. Um, they're easy to watch. Uh, I enjoy the, not necessarily like the different take on the voice acting, but, you know, I like to hear it in a language that I natively understand. And most of, because I'm fairly selective about what I watch, most of the stuff I watch is more modern and, and typically the, the dub is, you know, more of a literal line for line dub and less of an adaptation. So it's, I feel like I'm very much still getting the same flavor, even, um, like the persona dubs, like they're basically like the games and those leave honorifics in and stuff like that. So like it's like the, Japanese cultural feeling and imprint is like still heavily on those. And that doesn't bother me because I feel like it's very much rooted in the Japanese culture. Um, even though they're modern day stories, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel like they're supposed to be like of the, like, you're supposed to be able to feel the zeitgeist of what's going on in Japan a little bit with those stories and kind of be seeped in the, the culture with those stories. Um, so like, it never bothers me, but, um, like, 
definitely older stuff I can write off as like, well, I'm kind of nostalgic for it and I can accept it. And it's, you know, it's more or less the same, so it doesn't really matter. But like that moment there made me think like, well, I guess some of the people who are hardcore, um, or very ardent fans or supporters of subtitles over watching with dubs, I, like this is a piece of, of, uh, like good evidence for them to use to argue. Of course, it's a little silly to argue what other people's tastes should be, but it's a good way to argue why you prefer subtitles over dubs. Yeah, and I mean, I can go either way. Um, I watch more subs, um, but it depend. It kind of depends on the show. I'm going to recommend to you Bacano if you have not already seen it. Yeah, I still haven't um, seen it, but I because just, it's <laughs> its dub is excellent. And is one of the shows that I prefer dubbed. Uh, is that, just because uh, the, the voice acting is done very well. And because it's set in America, um, it kind of adds to it because there are a lot of accents. Is that Viz or Funimation? Just so I, I know. Um, I am not sure offhand. I want to say Funimation. Okay, because I'm like this close to pulling the trigger on subscribing to Funimation and getting access to all their all their goodies. Yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Um, I could look it up later and get back to you, but it's it's a very good show, and the dub is very good. Again, it's one of the shows that I prefer to watch dubbed, and there are not many of them, um, but I pretty much take dubs on, like, a case-by-case basis. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and, and really, I mean, subtitles have the uh, the upper hand, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, like, Ghibli movies all watch dubbed. Ghibli. Ghibli. That's I a, say Ghibli, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> words aren't real. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll watch them dubbed mostly out of, you know, most of them. When I saw them as a kid, I watched them dubbed, so mm. I'm a little more open to it. But, you know, again, overall, it's a thing I take on a case-by-case basis. Um, but I served my time with Grandma Luna, and <laughs> if I can avoid doing it again, I will. But I do kind of want to check out that, that uh, scene of Luna walking home, just to see how different it is. Yeah, it's really interesting. If uh, I wasn't sure that YouTube would, like, strike me or ban me, I would definitely upload a, like, side-by-side video playing, you know, the original and then the the dub uh, back-to-back and, and you could see the difference. But it it, it would be interesting. I, I, you know, feel – I would like to know your thoughts once you try um, over Twitter or email or whatever. Um, yeah, no, I will definitely make some notes on that. Um. Okay, and then just kind of my last point here, uh, like, the script – also seem technically simplified, like uh, as if the dub writer worked really hard to make it more accessible to kids, I guess. Because like when you mentioned um, Kakuru having like five different degrees or doctorates, like in English, the way Himeko describes it, it's like a very, like that one really stuck out in my mind because I watched it in English and then I went back and I happened to see that scene in the dub and she was like, boom, 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 boom astrophysics or astromechanics. And I was like, what? Like, they did not say that in the dub version. Like, it, this is, like, they're using technical language and they're very serious about the, um, like, the astronomy or astronomical aspects of, um, you know, the, of what's going on in the story. Yeah, what did, what did she say in the dub? Just, like, 
you have degrees in all these things? Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, like, but like, I don't know, it was even like a more simple way, like, you have degrees and I think she said biology, I don't know, I almost want to pull it up right now. Why don't you, why don't you say what you gotta say and I'll, I'll try to pull it up real quick and see, um, if I can find um, the scene. Yeah, again, it's just the kind of the way early dubs, I guess, underestimated their audience. And I mean, like, that's not a new thing or even a thing that's changed. A lot of children's media kind of us underestimates the, their audience. And that's slowly changing where you've got stuff now like Steven Universe and like Gravity Falls where you can have these kind of bigger things. Um, but, you know... Mar- we're marketing to kids, so you have to dumb it down a bit. And, I mean, that was, again, common in a lot of dubs at the time, and Sailor Moon's original dub was pretty infamous for that kind of thing, dumbing things down, changing things, um, adding in, like, that that line, Luna complaining about wanting soup. Um, right. It's, it was just kind of the way dubs at that time did things because they were dubbing them to air them on television, um, trying to appeal to any audience instead of, you know, dubbing things today, like dubbing the Persona series, that's for people who like Persona. Right. Yeah, it's a very selective audience. Yeah, so they're, they're not trying to reach as many people as possible, they're trying to reach a very specific subset where these early dubs were very much this is just a thing we want to put on TV and have people watch. So we just want to make it so anyone will watch it and kids are dumb. (laughs) Uh, I I have it pulled up right now. Do you want to hear what she says in English? Yes. All right. Let's see how well it travels through my speaker onto the, the microphone into your ear. Okay. Okay. All right. Hopefully we don't get sued for this. Although I'd appreciate, I'd be flattered by the uh, lawsuit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, man. Okay. You're a well-respected scientist. So you don't believe me. Kakeru, I believe you're a highly intelligent man of science. You've studied physics, biology, medicine, and space engineering. You have various degrees, including a PhD. I'll tell you what I find very difficult to believe. Even with your extensive scientific background, you still live by these unscientific stories. So, like... I don't know. That that really, again, I put on the subtitles first, and then I, you know, popped over to that scene, and I was listening to the actress, you know, deliver the lines in English, and looking at the subs, and it's not that different, I guess. I don't know, but how how did that seem to you? If you can, if it's fair to yeah, ask, it you? definitely, it definitely does kind of diminish. Because she's just saying you have degrees in these very basic fields. Mm. Like, what kind of degrees? (laughs) You can get an associate's degree in biology. Right. We're saying, like, you have five doctorates (laughs) in these very specific, difficult fields. That puts a lot... And she doesn't even call it a doctorate. She just calls it a PhD. Right. which Which is a title. Not a degree. <laughs> um, you you are a PhD when you get a doctorate, but I believe that's correct. 
Um, I don't have a doctorate, so yeah, you know, nor do I. <laughs> I could be wrong, but it it definitely sounds a lot more. He sounds a lot more impressive in the subtitles. Yeah, I guess fair. Um, all right. Uh, well, I, I'm glad I was able to find that and pull that up so we could talk about it. Um, you know, I also in the notes I kind of threw out a "What are your thoughts about all of this?" Do you, you still want to go over that, or do you feel like you covered it already? Um, no, I feel like I kind of, kind of covered it point by point. Um, I'm still kind of on the fence about Luna. Why did you think you and this dude would have an actual relationship? It would be one thing if he realized she was like a cat with a human intelligence level. Hmm. It would still be weird. <laughs> but yeah, a little bit. he thinks she is a normal cat who I guess just keeps showing up at his house because she fed it because he fed her once right Which, like that's normal cat reaction though so like yeah that's, that's what happens and it's like yeah okay so he talks to you and pets you um I I don't know why you think you two have some kind of like potential romantic relationship Luna he he, you are a cat, and he does not even believe you are a cat on the level that you are. Um, you know what? I, I just have to make a quick aside. At the end, uh, Kakru gives Hime star flakes, or the, whatever the, the sugar stars were. He doesn't. Luna does. Okay, that was- They, con- they fall from the ceiling. They fall okay. from up where, where Luna and Usagi are. What a strange edit. Like, Wow. Okay. Did they did they edit that in? I don't know because I looked over it a couple like I rewound a couple times because I couldn't really tell. I thought it came from Luna because that would have made sense to me, but it almost makes less sense that she would like. Why is she throwing the sugar stars at Hime? I don't know, <laughs> but it's like it's a very weird like half second. Because you don't see, like, Luna push them, and you don't see Luna with them before that. Right. But he definitely didn't give them to her. They definitely fell from, like, above him. Mm-hmm. Into and his he hand. Is into her hand. Into her and, hand. Oh, my gosh. And, like, he's as surprised by it as she is. <laughs> oh, And see- for some reason, she assumes he did this, because why would she not? She doesn't know that the cat can talk and is doing this. Right. But, like, no one, neither of them question, like, where this fell from. <laughs> well, because it's destiny. They're, they're sweethearts by the design of the stars, so. I mean, like, both of them know who Usagi and Luna are. If they just look up and, like, Usagi waves, and they both just kind of smile and laugh and then hug. It's yeah. a very, it's a very strange moment. <laughs> very awkward way to end the show out, huh? Yeah. Or the movie, rather. Oh well, what are you gonna do? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that is such a, that is really weird. I'm upset now that I, I, I'm back again to uh, almost disliking the movie. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna be that petty. But uh, I don't know, that was really weird. So. Yeah, there were definitely some things in this movie that were really strange. But overall, I really liked it, and it was good. Um, 
Mm, I, I think we, we did a pretty good job of establishing why it's good, just on a thematic level alone. Um, you know, the, the nitpicks are definitely, uh, all the little weird things like this that happen throughout, but it's not like yeah, it's I replete mean, like the, with errors. Yeah, no, it, like overall, it's very good and very sweet. Um, it's weird, but, um, I do, want to bring up in in the manga human luna uh luna artemis and diana all have uh human forms oh uh that they don't come up until the stars arc hmm. um but it's never this is the only time we see human luna in in the in the 90s series at all uh artemis and diana never get the human forms that's interesting uh, for for some reason that was all cut huh um but I know they do, they did use them briefly, uh, during the Stars arc. I don't, rem- I don't remember, I should revisit that part of the manga because I do not remember why they are just normally cats. Hmm. Yeah, that, that seems strange to me. You would think they'd be able to do more as a, uh, you know, a human helper, but I mean, the cats are portable, so that's nice, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. All right. Well, uh, do you want to draw these to a close? Um. Yeah. Yeah. This seems like kind of a good place to lead out. Okay. Well. Um. Man, we never got Aleph to make that sound drop for us. But. Uh, oh no. We'll just have to do it on our own. Um. All right. Well, uh, that was me and Sona talking about uh, Sailor Moon S the movie. Um. Does it have a subtitle? The Princess Kaguya, something like that. No. Uh. Something. Something Princess Kaguya. Okay. I only I only know the one for this for the Supers movie, which is um something something Black Dream Hole. Okay. I forgot like half of it. All right. Oh, mystery. Hey. I don't know. I I, I want to bring up one more like weird sticking point. Hime and Himiko are almost the same thing, aren't they? Um, I do believe it's Himeko. Um, H I M E K O. Okay. Um, which again, that just co kind of denotes young or small. Okay. Um, Himeko, of course, is a, a Japanese female name, uh, going all the way back to Queen Himeko. Right. But Wait. isn't like, isn't it also Himeko Kaguya? Like, isn't that the actual? Is it? I do know it may be Himeko or Himiko. Because I was Kaguya. pretty sure, like, he's obsessed with the Moon Princess when he has yeah, his like own she, astronaut Her name princess. is definitely her name is definitely tied into Kaguya. Okay. Huh. In that right. way. Which, <laughs> um, like, that adds another weird layer to things, things. I guess. My brain like replaces. I have some slight dyslexia, so my brain replaces letters all over the place if stuff sounds similar. So I'm not sure if it's uh, Himiko or Himeko. Okay. Yeah, and um, we would technically need, need to look back at the Japanese to just double check, but it's definitely... They're, they're close, regardless. It's one of the two, and her name is definitely tied to Kaguya. Right. Hmm. All right, well, again, strange journey, but uh, enjoyable. <laughs> All right, well, uh, on behalf of... Uh, Everyone here, <laughs> on behalf of Soto and myself, uh, for uh, Moonspeak and the uh, the rest of the Toe Network, uh, this is Amit saying thanks for listening and 
see you next time? Yeah, uh, probably for the Supers movie, if that's uh, what we hit next. I'd like that to be the case. That's my favorite one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I love that movie. Um, It is even weirder than this one. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) All right. Well, that seems like the best place to stop things. So uh, goodbye, everybody, if you haven't left already. 